Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Another disaster in Ohio. A massive explosion at a metal factory sends large plumes of smoke into the air. Nearby communities are reporting a bad smell. President Biden promising $500 million in new military aid to Ukraine during a surprise trip to Kyiv. Plus, the U.S. says Russia could get weapons from China. What could this mean for the war and relations between the three countries? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis visited New York today as part of a four-city tour to support and recruit law enforcement. What he says and how New York's Mayor Eric Adams responds. James O'Keefe leaves Project Veritas, the undercover journalism group he founded. He says the board of directors forced him out after an internal dispute. And on President's Day, we take a trip to the home of America's very first president and the founder of our nation. We start with some breaking news tonight. An explosion was reported at a metal manufacturing plant in Ohio. Multiple people were sent to the hospital. The explosion happened at Schumann & Company near Cleveland. The factory makes brass and bronze alloys. Witnesses say there were two explosions. The larger one took place shortly after 2 p.m. Debris from the building could be seen scattered in the parking lot and bricks hit buildings and cars. Firefighters from multiple departments rushed to the scene and put the fire under control by 4.30 p.m. Authorities report at least 13 people were taken to the hospital with at least one in critical condition. A smell of burning oil lingers in the area, but it's unclear what caused the explosion. And turning now to another disaster, this one overseas. Another earthquake struck the border region of Turkey and Syria today, just two weeks after the area was devastated by a larger quake that killed more than 47,000 people. The 6.4 magnitude quake was centered in southern Turkey and was felt in Syria, Egypt and Lebanon. At least three people were killed and more than 200 injured, according to Turkey's interior minister. We'll keep you updated as this story continues to develop. And another international news. President Biden making history with his unannounced visit to Ukraine. And the confrontation with China sharpens as Beijing displays its latest support for Moscow. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. Amid air raid sirens, Biden and Zelensky walking around the center of Ukraine's capital, Kyiv. The surprise visit, President Biden says, is to send a clear message. I thought it was critical that there not be any doubt, none whatsoever, about U.S. support for Ukraine. Biden's unannounced trip on Monday marks the first time a U.S. president has visited a war zone where there's no active U.S. military presence. The White House says the trip took months to plan and the final go-ahead wasn't given until Friday. And as the Ukrainian president asked for more weapons, Biden on Monday announced an additional half a billion dollars in aid. That's on top of the more than $100 billion in economic and military aid the Congress has appropriated for Ukraine in less than a year. Freedom is priceless. It's worth fighting for for as long as it takes. Meanwhile, the trip also comes amid heightened tensions between U.S. and China. Specialist China also on Monday sent its top diplomat to Moscow. And the U.S. warns that China could start sending lethal weapons to Russia. And this would be a 
real problem for China in its relationships with many other countries, not just the United States. Meanwhile, some House Republicans are criticizing Biden, with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene accusing him of forcing Americans to pay for Ukraine's war, and Congressman Scott Perry saying Biden puts in less effort to secure the border of the United States. Biden's traveling to Poland next, and we're going to see a rare split screen on Tuesday as both Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin are set to give formal speeches to mark the war's anniversary. Reporting from the White House, Iris Howe, NTD News. And we turn now to Grant Newsham for his analysis of Blinken's warning to China and relations between Russia, China and the U.S. Newsham is a retired U.S. Marine officer, a former U.S. diplomat, and now a senior fellow at both the Center for Security Policy and the Yorktown Institute. And I spoke with him earlier today. Grant Newsham, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on. I'm glad to be here. Thanks very much. Now, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is warning of serious consequences if China supplies weapons and ammunition for Russia's war in Ukraine. But he didn't get into any specifics. What kinds of consequences does the U.S. have as options here? Well, I would say a very severe, furrow-browed uh, warning from the Secretary of State. I'm being a little bit funny because we do always warn of serious consequences, but I haven't seen that China's ever experienced any. Uh, what could we do to really get their attention? Well, a much stricter uh, crackdown on semiconductor imports and semiconductor uh, machinery, uh, excuse me, exports to China, really choke that off. Additionally, uh, cut the flow of foreign, foreign exchange, convertible currency, U.S. dollars to China, uh, clamp down on that. And that would mean some real restrictions on the ability of U.S. companies, financial institutions, to business, do business with China. Uh, do those kind of things and you'll get China's attention. Beijing so far has denied claims of supplying lethal material support to Russia. But if China does decide to do so, what kind of impact do you think that will have on the war and on the United States' relationship with China? Well, it'll take a lot of the pressure off of Russia. Uh, it just doesn't have the industry to uh, build the weapons and particularly the ammunition. Uh, artillery, small arms ammunition even, uh, that it needs to fight a war. You just go through this stuff incredibly quickly. Uh, but do keep in mind that the Americans might know more than they're letting on. And in fact, that's quite possibly the case. Uh, it could be that the Chinese already are providing uh, some lethal weaponry. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Uh, additionally, uh, it's known that the North Koreans are supporting the Russians with lethal hardware. And I'll bet you that they have China's approval for that and that China is also resupplying North Korea for everything they give to Russia. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Americans know more than, they, uh, than they're saying. Uh, so Russia would uh, find it very helpful to have a big source of uh, supply. Uh, how would that affect the U.S.-China relationship? Well, it would worsen it, but it, it just makes it harder for the people that want to ignore what China is doing to ignore it. Uh, so it would be, a, say, a gradual worsening in uh, the U.S.-China relationship. Even though Beijing has reportedly denied in involvement in the conflict, China's foreign minister is traveling to Moscow this week, just as President Biden is visiting Kyiv. What do you think this signals? Well, China's trying to, I think, have it both ways. Um, one, they want to sort of keep supporting Russia. I think they want to keep Russia in this fight. Uh, China would like a weak Russia, ultimately, that is dependent on China and that China can dominate. Uh, there's large parts of the Russian Far East that China believes were stolen from them. 
uh, back in the 19th century, and they intend to get it back. So the more Putin, the more Russia gets bogged down in Ukraine, the better that actually looks from Beijing's perspective. Uh, but at the same time, China wants to present itself as the dis indispensable player in reaching a peace settlement and stopping the fighting in Ukraine. And that way you create a dependency on in parts of the American foreign policy class uh, that thinks, well, we need China's help to solve Ukraine. Thus, we can't do anything to them in terms of economic sanctions. Uh, we don't even want to embarrass them. We won't even tell uh, anybody what we know they are already doing. So I say China wants it both ways. And I think they're happy to have the Americans uh, sort of uh, distracted by Ukraine. They would like to have the Americans thinking that Chinese help is necessary to solve the problem. And when you're focusing on Ukraine, when you think China's help is necessary, well, you have less attention to focus on Taiwan. And the Chinese know this. They are pretty good at playing, um, playing to their uh, their counterparts. If they see that we're naive, well, they'll take advantage of that. If they see the Russians are in a fix, well, they'll take advantage of that too. Uh, there's not a whole lot of altruism uh, in Chinese foreign policy, unlike us, of course. Now, it looks likely that we'll keep supplying military aid to Ukraine. And at the same time, the U.S. is tens of trillions of dollars in debt. Do you think that that could affect our own readiness in relation to any potential conflict? with China or others? Well, the money we're sending to Ukraine, this is about maybe 30 minutes of Medicare fraud. Uh, it's not huge amounts of money, um, although you hear it argued that it is. Um, our financial condition is, is not good. Uh, fortunately, the US dollar still is the reserve currency. Uh, but at the same time, we have the money to uh, support Ukraine. We have the money to build up our own military if necessary. Uh, so. You know, I don't see Ukraine as a, as a huge problem, but we do have to get our, our act together. And that means rebuild our uh, productive cap capacity in the United States, so um, get our arsenal back to where it needs to be, uh, build enough of the right kind of weapons, and also fund our military properly. Uh, you think $850 billion is a lot of money, but it's really not. Uh, and if you uh, lose a war, um, $850 billion will seem like um, a real bargain and you'll wish you'd spent more. Uh, but you do need to get your military ready to fight. It sounds very obvious, but we're not at that, pos not at that uh, position yet. Um, additionally, as, as you've mentioned, you've got to get your own house in order. And that means, you know, show some signs of fiscal responsibility. Uh, this entitlement spending really is what's killing us. Uh, it's not the military budget, defense spending, or help to, uh, to Ukraine. Uh, additionally, you know, the um, I would call it the uh, extreme partisanship uh, in the American political class is not a good thing. Uh, you know, we've got to stop seeing this our country as a, a nation of uh, warring tribes, each of them resentful against the other for something someone did or didn't do. But if you don't get that right and start to say get over that tribalism um, and get your military in order and realize that we are at war with China. Uh, that has already started. Uh, the Chinese have a different definition of war than us. Uh, we tend to look at it as a 100-yard dash where everybody gets at the start line, someone shoots the gun off, and the war begins. The Chinese see the war as very different, and the shooting part of a war uh, is just one part of it, and actually a relatively small part of uh, the kind of war that, that they fight, which involves economic war, financial war, biological war, chemical war, psychological war. 
using proxies to get what you want. So Chinese have been done very well at political warfare. You have to give them credit for that. We need to recognize it, and we need to start fighting back. All right. Grant Newsham, retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Appreciate your thoughts and your time. Well, thank you very much. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis visited New York today to speak at a pro-law enforcement rally. He encouraged New Yorkers to come to Florida. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. The people of Florida, they know him and all of America knows him as the greatest governor that we have right now in the United States of America. Give it up for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Former New York Congressman Lee Zeldin warmly praised Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at a pro-law enforcement rally on Monday in Staten Island. DeSantis came out to support and recruit New York's men and women in blue. We welcome everyone that wants to come uh, to serve in law enforcement. He touted a number of Florida's successes, such as a crime rate at a 50-year low, and explained why there's less crime in Florida than in other places like New York and Chicago. The reason is, is we support strong policies to keep our communities safe, and we back the blue, and we support their mission, and we back it up with money and all kinds of stuff to be able to do it. Here's one way he says he's backing the blue. So what we did is we passed legislation preventing any local government in Florida from defunding the police. They can try, but we'll put the money back in. He gave other examples, such as anti-riot legislation, which enhances penalties against people who hurt police while rioting, and giving police access to scholarship money so their children can go to the school of their choice. New York City Mayor Eric Adams didn't attend the event. In a tweet on Monday welcoming the Florida governor, Adams criticized DeSantis's policies. He said New York was a place where we don't ban books, discriminate against LGBTQ plus neighbors, use asylum seekers as props, or let the government stand between a woman and health care. Meanwhile, DeSantis praised his policies for fighting against what he called woke ideologies and said he's proud that Florida is doing well. But I want the country to do well. I want all of these communities to do well. DeSantis is widely expected to declare his bid for the presidency in the near future. Although he told Fox and Friends on Monday that this visit to New York was not a jumpstart on a run for president, he did say he would likely be able to make a decision in the next few months. Arlene Richards, NTD News. James O'Keefe, who founded the undercover journalist group Project Veritas, is leaving the organization. His departure follows a management dispute. So I'm announcing to you all that today on President's Day, I'm packing up my personal belongings. James O'Keefe announced on Monday that the Project Veritas Board of Directors removed him from the board and stripped him of his authority as CEO. This followed a conflict over how to handle fundraising for the nonprofit. O'Keefe said he asked the board members to resign or else he'd be forced to walk away from the group. There were tactical disagreements about the boldness of approaches soliciting donations. I was told, and I'm paraphrasing, by asking for X dollars right now, you will prevent 10X dollars down the road. That advice ran contrary to everything I knew to be true in my 13 years of fundraising. O'Keefe said he doesn't have the answers as to why the board chose to oust him, but added he believes those reasons will come to light. He said he will continue doing what he's been doing. Our mission continues on. I'm not done. The mission will perhaps take on a new name, 
and it may be no longer called Veritas, Project Veritas. I'll meet a bunch of people around me, and I'll make sure I'll make sure you know how to find me. O'Keefe founded Project Veritas in 2010. The group is known for undercover sting operations that attempt to expose wrongdoing by government officials and corporations. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Prosecutors have downgraded manslaughter charges against Alec Baldwin relating to the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of the movie Rust. If convicted, Baldwin now faces up to 18 months in prison. Prosecutors last month charged Baldwin with involuntary manslaughter. They added a firearm enhancement on the charge, accusing him of missing required firearms training. That could have made the crime punishable by a mandatory sentence of five years in prison. That charge has now been dropped after Baldwin's attorney filed a motion last month saying it was incorrect. George Washington would be 289 years old if he were still alive today. His inspirational legacy resonates even now. We take a tour of the first president's centuries-old home. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has that story. The Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. The performance allows a moment to remember the first public celebration of Washington's birthday in 1778. The Commander-in-Chief's Guard surprised General Washington with a performance at Valley Forge. I'm humbled because I'm military, you know, and I was like, tears were in my face like when they were doing the, the thing a minute ago with the, the, the flute and bugles. Because I, I think it's a wonderful way to love our the institution of the presidency and history and, and love our country. People gather to take a walk through the mansion where Washington formed his vision for America. To walk around, because when you go down to the river, you get to see how people would come visit him. Everything was on the river then, really. And, uh, you get the whole layout of the farm, and it's just really neat to think of it as a working farm. The farm is still home to the same breeds of animals that were raised here in the 18th century. It once covered around 8,000 acres. Now 500 acres have been preserved to revive the historic nature of the estate. Really allows you to get to know him better, to see you know what interests him, what he was exploring here, uh, his business pursuits, his agricultural pursuits, uh, the people he was meeting with, and the, the the ideas about our nation's founding that were discussed here in these places. Take a step into history, seeing how blacksmiths made tools that would be used to shape this estate into what it is today. So many historic details are preserved right here. Even this miraculous view was shared by George Washington. The centuries-old American landmark attracts thousands of people on President's Day to soak in the history of our country's founding father. I've heard two things. I've had many people tell me uh, that they wished me a happy anniversary of my birthday. But then I have had others say that they were here to celebrate presidents. And I said, well, since there are but two of us, Myself and Mr. Adams, I can't well imagine it would be much of a celebration. Many today showing great respect to Washington, commander of the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. Many reflecting on his pivotal role in shaping America. Uh, but he led us through that tumultuous time. We're only here because of that. I don't know what we would have become. So I think Washington was the guy who set the stage for what the presidency meant for people and so for us that's like he was the one who decided what it actually all meant to be a president. Reporting in Virginia, Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. 
If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, artificial intelligence-powered chat GPT has become a buzzword lately. NTD spoke to a high-tech insider on chat GPT's current status and what he thinks the future holds. And in basketball news, Brittany Griner signed a contract to play ball this year. NTD's Dave Martin has the details on where she signed. That and more coming up. Microsoft's ChatGPT tool has been gaining attention. Now, with the growing use of artificial intelligence, what are its impacts on society? NTD's David Lamb spoke with Jeff Berment, CEO and founder of the web browser and search engine Tusk. As the founder of Tusk, where do you see artificial intelligence as it stands today? Well, it's in its embryo stage for the user. I think the problem is, which I think they're finding out by conservatives, is that whoever's programming it is programming it with kind of their take on what's right and what's wrong. And therefore, when you write something in or you ask the, the computer something, it kind of regurgitates stuff that's pretty woke. And that's kind of an issue. I, I, you know, it's not really artificial intelligence uh, unless you want to talk to somebody who's already woke and they're kind of set in their ways. It's, it's a difficult challenge. So when it comes to building software and AI, uh, what key factors and principles do you think is important and vital? It's a really tough one. Uh, and the, the, the key points, I think, are somewhat your audience. But if you have a, a take on something, like if you typed in, how is gasoline going to help us or how is petroleum going to help us? It, it, my understanding is it will not answer you or it will tell you basically it's bad news and that we need to get away from it. Uh, and that's not the viewpoint of everybody. So in order to do this probably right, it has to be very fair and balanced. I think they'll try and get there, but they're certainly not there yet. Now, as we progress, where do you see technology's impact on society is? Well, you know, we got to be really careful that we don't turn these 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 AIs into monsters that want to start to believe that they're only right and there's only an answer. Like I put in uh, the chat GDP about us and it talked about privacy and security and I had to ask it, well, what about freedom of speech? And it gave me back a, a reasonable answer, but then it added, I would say, some woke things like, yeah, but you got to be careful of freedom of speech because maybe there's misinformation in, in that information and I think you leave that up to the reader to decide what's information and what's misinformation. So it, it will definitely have an impact. And when this is, it's not obviously fully operational now, but when it is, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I, I worry, though, that it will, like a lot of things, it will take sort of this woke position. And a lot of conservatives will be very unhappy because they'll put something in and they'll get answers back that don't fit them. I don't know how exactly they solve that problem, but maybe it's a learning thing to learn that this person's a conservative, yet it wants to tell the other side of the story. So it's kind of a tricky situation. Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. Sure. Great. Thank you, David.
And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Houston Cougars reclaimed the top spot in the AP poll today, garnering 48 of a possible 62 first place votes. At 25-2, they have the best record in the country and have won 16 of their last 17 games. The Cougars were followed in the poll by former number one Alabama and then Kansas, UCLA, and Purdue at five. The Boilermakers have spent a total of six weeks at number one this season, but have now lost three of their last five games. Beyond them, Virginia is sitting at six, followed by Arizona, Texas, Baylor, and Marquette at 10. And on the women's hardwood, Brittany Griner has signed a free agent contract with her old team, the Phoenix Mercury, according to a report by ESPN. The 32-year-old missed all of last season while being detained in Russia. In 2021, though, Griner had one of her best seasons, averaging 20 points and nearly 10 rebounds a game while leading Phoenix to the finals. The 32-year-old, who was drafted first overall by the Mercury 10 years ago, signed a one-year contract for $165,000. Meanwhile, in the NBA, former MVP Russell Westbrook will sign with the Clippers, according to multiple reports. Westbrook was traded from the Lakers to the Jazz in a three-team trade earlier this month. The 34-year-old is reportedly negotiating a buyout from Utah before heading back to LA, where he will join former teammate Paul George, as well as Kawhi Leonard. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, no NBA games, but in the college ranks, we have a couple of ranked teams going at it, as number three, Kansas, plays at number 24, Texas Christian. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has a pair of games tonight, including both New York teams in action as the Rangers host the Winnipeg Jets and the Islanders play at the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.